What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Whitetail Bloodline Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Sodders. This is episode 95 and got another good one for you on this one. My guest is Emily Shad Conkler. She's an Ohio native who just happened to kill a 190-inch mega giant. We talk about that. We talk about her having a passion from a young age and how it led her to becoming part of the outdoor industry and a lot in between. So without further ado, let's stop hearing my voice and let's get Emily on the phone. What's going on, Emily? Hey, what's happening? Not much. Just finally got home and uh, ready to record this one. I hear you. I've been running around for check with my head cut off. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. Season's getting close now. And yeah. Work and yeah, between work and farm work and trying to shoot and do things for 10 million different people, it keeps me busy. <laughs> it, yep, yep, no doubt. But um, might as well just get hot and heavy into it, if you don't mind. And, yep. Uh, Let's kind of start with the background for people who do not know who you are, like who you are, kind of uh, how you got into what you're doing. Like, did you start doing it at a young age, get into it older? Just a little bit of background on you. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Emily Shad Conkler, and I live in Southern Ohio here. And I got into hunting at a really, really early age. Uh, my grandpa was always a big hunter and farmer. And then my my father was actually a big game guide in Idaho for like over 36 years. He guided elk and bear hunts and everything in between. So um, it just kind of came natural. I kind of really didn't have a choice but to hunt, I guess, since I was <laughs> surrounded by it so much. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, killed my first deer when I was 12, actually my first buck. And then at age 13 is when I decided I wanted to pick up a bow and I actually started bow hunting only for whitetails at age 13, and I haven't looked back. <laughs> really? I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. That, yep. That's quite a feat right there. I'll break out the gun sometimes. Like, every year, <laughs> I try to hold the, the bow more, but sometimes the gun's a little tempting, so. I... Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm one of them crazy people that bow hunts during gun season. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hey, I got, I got buddies that do it. It's a different breed, for sure. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, you grew up in Ohio. I didn't, honestly didn't realize you grew up in Ohio the whole time. Yep. Yep. I've been in the same, uh, same general area for going to be 31 years now. So, <laughs> okay. So you've been hunting like the same property for that whole time or you've been moving around a little bit? No, I kind of started out when I was younger hunting, um, some properties of my dad's and my grandpa's. And then I ended up a little bit later on, um, in the bow hunting career here, I got some permission hunting and then I bought my own farm. So, um, everything I hunt now is nothing that I started hunting. So. Okay. That's awesome. I'm sure once you bought your own property, cause I know like I, I have a family property I've been like personally managing for about, I think it's year 10 this year. And it's just a little different once you have like your own little, your piece, especially you bought it with your own money, you know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. that holds special to you. Yep. It definitely, it definitely does. A lot of years of hard work and, um, saving up and everything. So it's kind of like, you know, I work for that and I got that and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely exciting. So I'm kind of curious since you've been ate up with like, was it mainly white tails or did you kind of grow up like hunting everything? Um, I have been out West several times, um, with my dad, sometimes hunting, sometimes not hunting, sometimes getting prepared for sea elk seasons and stuff out there. Um, but I've been out West several times hunting. I went elk hunting. I've killed a couple black bear in Idaho, grouse hunting, turkey hunting and things like that out West. So it's definitely, it's definitely my favorite place to be. Um, honestly, if I could probably just move out West right now, I really, I like, I really probably would. It's definitely my favorite. I love whitetails, but man, I just, I love the West though. <laughs> yep. I was actually born in Utah. I'm the baby of my family. So I only lived there for a year of my life and there's definitely oh, okay. nowhere like out West. I haven't really went out there and hunted. I'm going to try to do that in the next couple of years because family's getting a little older and stuff. So do it while I still can with my family. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely important. Uh, important to do because like me now my my dad he's in his 70s so he doesn't really go out there and and do all of that because it's all in the back country I mean it's rough stuff you know staying in the mountains living in a tent in the back country and stuff like that and he's just to the point where he's just kind of exhausted with it so now if I go out there you know it's not with him or anything so I wish I could have done more of that back when he was 
actually out there doing it for a living. But at that point, I was in school and I was younger and stuff like that. So, yeah. And a lot of people that, that have never been out west or been kind of like backpacking, like you're saying, going in those mountains. Like, I, I consider myself pretty fit, played sports and stuff, but it whoops my ass every time I go out west, <laughs> honestly. Just that elevation. Like, I remember playing like basketball with my cousins and stuff and like couldn't even like finish a game of 21 without dying. Yeah, it's definitely, it's something you definitely have to always prepare for, train for, because, which, being down from hill country here and all the physical farm work and lifting and everything that I do definitely really helps, but I still like to prepare and train because, like you said, once you go out there and the elevation changes and stuff like that, if you're not prepared, it can really kick your butt. Yep, and then they have that, uh, I just went blank, it's like elevation sickness or something. I've heard a lot of people yeah, talk about al- that. Yeah, altitude on... sickness, yeah, yep. that can affect um, a lot of people for sure. And it's, I mean, it's dangerous. It's not something you want to mess around with, so. Yep, for sure. So, um, did did you kind of like, actually, first question, I know, I believe you work with like Novix and stuff. Correct, and, uh, yep. Yep, so did you like always have that goal and that dream of like being in the outdoor industry or that coming later in life? Honestly, crazy enough, ever since I was a little girl, I always dreamed of being a professional hunter and being in the outdoor industries. Crazy as that sounds, and most little girls, that's not their dreams, but that was always my dream, and I always told dad that's where I was going to end up, and I think he done thought that I lost my marbles. But let me tell you, I stuck with it, and I worked my butt off and got into photography and just made bow hunting and everything outdoor related my passion and here we are I mean dreams I mean dreams do come true as long as you work hard and set your mind to it I mean I'm I'm where I wanted to be when I was a little girl so I'm I mean extremely blessed for that yep I was the exact same way like I remember like elementary school and everything like kids would be writing books about whatever mine was had something to do with deer hunting or a deer like always that's always been my passion for me, I, like I was into photography real hardcore when I was young and had a teacher that kind of had a falling out with like in my photography class. So I kind of fell out of it for a few years, but I was the same way. That was always my passion. Like I never really had a dream of doing anything else, but like hunting whitetails and being like a professional hunter, basically like you're talking about. So it is awesome. And like one thing I've noticed just cause I'm starting to gain more traction, like I'd say since like 2020, uh, it's when I started the Whitetail Bloodlines, when I like started taking it serious and putting in the work. And people just don't understand how much work it takes to get to, especially like where you're at. You know what I mean? It's not just doesn't happen overnight. No, it, it really doesn't. I mean, it's taken me years and so much, you know, money and photography equipment. And, you know, I do everything do everything on my own. I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer type of uh, person, which I was an only child and things like that. So I kind of always had to be like, the man and and everything growing up because I didn't have any brothers or sisters or anything um so you know I hang all my own sets and do all my mowing and most of my planning besides a farmer that helps me do some stuff and things like that so I mean and I run around on four different farms and do everything there is to do so it's just it's a lot of work and a lot of time and to try to be successful in the outdoor industry is extremely, I mean, it's extremely hard because everybody wants to be in it. And it's just one of those things that, I mean, it just, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to get there. Yep. For sure. Like I, like I got a lot of respect, like you manage a lot more than I do. I think for sure. Like you definitely do. Like I have 27 acres and that keeps up all my free time for like doing that just as 27 acres. Like I do quite a bit because we got a lot of like fields and stuff and there's only so much you can do with fields and crp but like i i got mad respect for like these guys have been in the industry for years managing these thousands of acre properties and like managing them correct and stuff and and they're successful that's like one thing like anybody can manage something but those people especially like you who are strictly like bow hunters and they're successful every year it's just one of those things that just doesn't happen like people know what they're doing to to have those types of years and that type of luck you could say you know yeah yeah it's I mean it's it's not easy and there's like I said I mean I feel like seven days a week I'm you know doing farm work and I'm doing cameras or you know bush hogging mowing I mean just all kinds of things you know updating mineral sites hanging I mean it's just like there's never 
any downtime and especially when you have your own farm and trying to improve it and stuff I mean there's honestly like never an end to it like there is never I never have a day off like I work seven days a week between actually work and then farm work and deer work and it's just a revolving door (laughs) yep yep well it uh sounds like you deserved it and that's I mean that's usually how it happens in the outdoor industry it's the people that deserve it a lot of time get it so um that's awesome you did it and so like what are you doing for Novix if you don't mind me asking So I am community manager for Novix Outdoors. I kind of do a little bit of everything. Right now, I mainly, I man all the customer service and stuff. I do social media and stuff like that, a lot of the shows. So anything that involves in communicating with people and helping people out, that's that's me. So I really enjoy that part of it. I always like to enjoy helping people with, you know, hunting questions and things like that and making their experience a lot more enjoyable when it comes to a company so yeah absolutely love what i'm doing yep and i actually met you and frank at the indie show this year yep, at your yep. guys' booth and that was cool because i followed you for a few years and i've known of frank as well so it's just like when you know of people and then you meet them in person it's just different you know what i mean it was cool to actually chat with you guys uh, i love what you guys are doing you know what i'm saying i rock a different stand i remember messing with frank about that when we were up there but <laughs> that's that's just the, the hunting industry is just so small too you know yeah Yep, it seems like every everything's just kind of a close knit uh knit thing. I mean, somebody may be clear across the country, but you feel like you've known them for years kind of deal, so it's kind of cool. Yep, it is cool. So, how long you been doing that? Like doing the the shows and like actually being a part of the out, outdoor industry as a career? Well, um the Novix career was actually my first show was the Indiana show where I met you. Uh that was my very first uh show in Shindig kind of working full time for Novix. Okay. Um there and then it's filtered on from there, but I mean, I've been I've been in the outdoor industry for several years, um doing photography for different companies and like writing for Peterson bow hunting and stuff like that. Um oh. I just wasn't in it full time until like I am now, which happened this year, so Okay. Well, congratulations. I'm Thank glad you. It, it all panned out, you know? Yeah. Yep. It did. And definitely uh, blessed to be where I'm at. That's for sure. I kind of want to talk about like one of your kind of your properties. You say you manage these properties. I know one buck that always kind of stands out to me was, uh, I think that's what you named him. It was yeah, like yeah. one of your, your first like big bucks. Yeah. He was, uh, he was something which I've killed several like really nice you know decent bucks 150s 160s and stuff but i just never like killed a buck that was just like a true once in a lifetime giant until i uh till i killed him and like i didn't really realize that he was gonna be what he turned out to be i thought he was just an old junk buck when i saw him for the first year he was all broke up he looked like he had an injury and he was screwed up on one side and then the next year it was like a wow factor. He had a huge side and a crazy tree side. And I'm like, wow, this deer is really something. And I, I mean, I didn't really know he was going to grow out of that injury the year that I ended up killing him, which he was ended up being seven and a half years old uh, that year that I killed him. And he ended up being the biggest he had ever been. And then come to find out, I really, I didn't realize what deer it was until I started going back through photos and I had, you know, pictures and knew this deer several years prior to the first time that I thought I knew him, which was kind of cool. So I had like a long history with the deer and I kind of really didn't know it exactly. Um, just because he was so screwed up there for a couple, three years. And, but yeah, yeah, he was, he was just a once in a lifetime deer and I'll just, I'll never, I'll never forget chasing that buck. There'll never be another buck like him. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I've heard that a lot from these guys that have been in the outdoor industry for a long time. You usually get like one buck that kind of sticks with you. And, uh, I got one buck this year, which he's disappeared for six years and he came back. I don't oh, want to wow. say, I don't want to say too much, but <laughs> we're, we're going to see how it goes. Cause it's, it's, it's one of those like bucks is like buck of a lifetime for me. If it, it works out, I'm only on 27 acres I've got, I had two years of history with him, 2016, 2017, and now that I'm thinking about it and I've seen him this year, I might have got him in between there one year, but uh, for the most part, he's disappeared for six years, which I just thought he got shot or something, so hopefully that comes together, but was this Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Was this buck of yours, was he like, were you on one property when you were chasing him the whole time? Um, so 
I early on, but when I finally put two two together, I actually had photos of him on a different property back in the day. And then I ended up getting permission on another property on down from this one. And that's when I started getting pictures of him, but that's when he was all screwed up and I thought he was just a junk deer. And, um, I didn't really put two and two together until after I had killed him and put the story together with the neighbors and stuff like that. Like I said, he was on one, I had pictures of him on one property. And then when I ended up getting permission on the others, when I, that's was really his home territory was down there. And that's when I really started getting pictures of him. Okay. So you're in Ohio. A lot of the listeners, they like kind of details because when they hear details, it like brings them back to their properties. Like, oh, maybe I can try that. So like how many acres was, was that property that you were like, okay, he's here. I'm starting to figure him out. And, and once you start like chasing him that, if that makes sense. So it, it was, I mean, it was a really tough property. Um, it's like a, a cattle farm sort of property. So most of it is like fenced in cow pasture and stuff. And there's just there's some alfalfa fields and some different crop fields and stuff like that, but it lays out like really crazy. It's super steep. The winds are really crazy with it. And there's not much physical area that you can hunt that doesn't like have cattle in it or something like that. Um, so it makes it really tough. And, you know, I can't really do too much on it just because, you know, I don't own it and it is a cattle farm. Um, yeah. And actually where I, where I ended up killing him, was part of the cow pasture but the wooded part of the cow pasture is where i actually ended up killing him but he was utilizing um the small small patch of woods where nobody goes nobody really bothers him um that drops off super steep and he was you coming across and utilizing that and crossing over into the alfalfa field right next to it there um so that's kind of where he was hanging out i mean the whole farm is split with a road and everything like that i mean it's a big farm but like the portion that i was hunting was like very small when you took out you know houses farm buildings cow pasture different things like that like the area was very small that i was actually trying to kill him on okay and i know you said you, you talked to the neighbors and stuff after shooting like how big do you if you had to guess, do you think his like home range was throughout like the whole year? Was he kind of like staying there in the summer, disappearing in the winter? Or was he one of those bucks that just really doesn't leave? Well, I never got pictures of him on the one on the, the far end of the farm, but I always got pictures on the front end of the farm. And that's only like a couple hundred yards away. So he kind of just stayed real small in one general area. The older okay. he got for sure. He didn't hardly travel much at all. Okay. So, um, you didn't really know you were chasing him for four years. On that fourth year, I was when I was getting ready for this podcast, I was kind of reading that post about him. And uh, you did quite a bit of work because I'm guessing you got a trail camera picture maybe in the summer or something. So let's kind of go from like that year. I think it was 2020 when you killed him, like mm -hmm. when you like kind of targeted him. Let's kind of start from there. Yeah, so I ended up gaining like better access to the the front half of the farm and stuff and that's that's really where he was hanging out at where that alfalfa field was um because i had photographed him there the previous summer utilizing that alfalfa field so in in 2020 i put oh my gosh i think i had like 18 cameras just everywhere just surrounding the place pretty much just trying to figure out you know what trail he uses you know where he comes from and stuff like that and Honestly, I didn't, I didn't see him until like the beginning of bow season. I didn't even see him in velvet, uh, that year, which it really worried me. Cause I'm like, I know he has to be here cause he was here all the previous year. And, um, the very beginning of bow seasons, when I started to get photos of him on a mock scrape that I created along that alfalfa field that he was utilizing. And then, uh, there was a giant red oak that was just loaded with acorns right next to the alfalfa field. And he was feeding on those acorns and then coming across the fence into the alfalfa field. So during that kind of first initial red moon, the first part of October there, I was like, he daylighted every day right on that fence crossing next to that huge red oak that was loaded with acorns. And also the same place that I found his shed the winter before there. And so that's where I ended up doing my hanging hunt. And I hung that set in that crazy shag bar hickory tree because it was all I had to work with. And it was the last day of the red moon. And he came just like clockwork, like he had done the whole previous part of the week and ended up coming. I thought he was going to go to the fence crossing and I didn't really have a shot at that because I didn't have a 
a pole saw or anything with me when I did that hanging hunt. Um, but he ended up coming down to the right of me to go and feed on uh, those red oak acorns. They were right behind me, and then that's where I ended up killing him at was right there. Okay. And you brought up you had, like, what would you say, 18 trail cameras? Were they card cameras to be in 2020? I mean, cell cameras were out. They just aren't as popular as it is now 2023. Like, what kind of cameras were you running? They were just uh, generic cameras, nothing fancy. I Honestly, I didn't start using cell cameras until last year. Um, mm-hmm. It probably – I mean, luckily, I was able to easily access a lot of the cameras without, you know, spooking deer or getting in the bedding and stuff like that since it was on the field edge. Um, but if I would have had a cell cam there, it would have saved me a lot of time going in and out and checking that field edge camera. And I'm lucky I checked it on the right day or I wouldn't even have known that he was coming in there. Yep, exactly. So now that you've been using them for going on your second year, what's your what's your take on cell cameras? I really love them, um, especially I usually don't run them near as much like in the summer because I don't really have a necessary need to. I mainly use them once once season it gets close to season and all during season. That way I don't have to go in and out mm-hmm. and stuff during season and put scent in and things like that. The summer, I usually run more just like your generic cameras, and I may have one or two cell cameras up, but to try to put some patterns together. But for the most part, I don't really start running cell cams until starting now, and then all the way through season. Yep. And one thing I've noticed with like my properties and just me hunting throughout the years is deer just don't care in the summer like they do like we have an october 1st opener and i swear like the deer read the newspaper and they know when like <laughs> the opening day comes in yeah it's 100 they, they really do because like i got this one buck here he's either i'd put him at three or four and i have to go and study other pictures to know if i know him for sure but i almost it's like legit almost every time i go down the property he's just sitting there watching me like the one day i'm sitting there doing a live talking real loud walking like through the middle field where it's our main food plot spot. And I could see him from about 200 yards away. And I know he saw me because I'm just talking. I'm in normal clothes and stuff. And he lets me get to 50 yards and start talking to him. Like 50 yards looking right at each other. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Then he just moseys off. And I've legit had that happen like 12 times. But you do that in October or November, good luck. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, they – all the big bucks are out in the fields, you know, acting like idiots during the summer. And as soon as they shed that velvet and season starts, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> yeah, I think I honestly think there is a lot to do with that when they shed their velvet, their testosterone obviously starts ramping up at that time frame when they're doing that, too. So that, yep. I'm sure that has something to do with it. But Yep. Yep. So let's go into uh, the day you actually shot him. What day was that? Um, it was October 10th. It was the last day of the red moon. Okay. During that yeah, that's, time. An, yeah. that's an early frame. Everybody says the October lull. I don't really believe the October lull. I think it's just like that time of the year, things are changing, you know, but. Yeah. October, honestly, early season. I used to be a rut fan and honestly, I absolutely hate the hunting the rut. Like <laughs> I don't even hunt the, hunt the rut anymore. Cause it's like, if you're really. If you're managing big bucks and you're after a particular buck, the rut just ruins it, completely ruins it. And it seems like here where I'm at the last few years, I mean, the rut's just been horrible. Like, you don't even see action. There's just 100% lockdown, and it's just dead the whole entire time. Are you in, like, open areas where it's, like, a lot of ag and stuff? Um, a mixture of both. I mean, next to fields or some places that I hunt, it's super thick that you can barely get through and stuff like that. So it's a good mixture. I mean, obviously the thickest areas have the most activity, but mm-hmm. it's still just, it's just not, I remember hunting the rut and it used to be completely different. And I'm, you know, almost wondering if it's just because there's so many does and stuff now that it's just like, they don't really have to do much chasing or go anywhere to yeah. search and stuff. So now I'm just like, The first day of bow season, I'm super excited because it's like I try to kill in early season. And if it doesn't happen in early season, then super late season. So it's early season and late season are my absolute favorite because you can pattern those big bucks and you can get them figured out. Everything in between there, you just never know what's going to happen between the rut and gun seasons and stuff like that. So Yeah, the, the rut is wild. Like in my area, like I wouldn't say it's like Michigan pressure, but like. It's just so such small 
parcels of land right here. It's like a 27 acres, a 30 acre, a 30 acre. And then there's roads like everywhere and houses everywhere. So it's just like the deer are used to people, but it's, it's high pressured. Like lucky mm-hmm. for me, I don't really talk to a whole lot of my neighbors, but I, I do know they're not like diehard like I am. So that kind of helps. Like most of the guys in this area come and hunt two or three weekends a year, you know, during gun, like opening week of gun. Like it's always just crazy busy here, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, like I said, I just love that. Early season's honestly my my for sure favorite because if you can still catch them on those early season, the, the summer feeding patterns, you like to like an alfalfa field or a clover field or, you know, a green food plot that you have. I mean, you can really have good success with that. Did you have, I, I see you doing food plots pretty often. Did you have a food plot on that property where you kid, killed freak? It was just an alfalfa field that the farmer already had there. So, okay. um, and that's that's why I love alfalfa. It's like I've never hunted an area that's had alfalfa that hasn't had a giant. I mean, alfalfa just it brings it brings in the deer and it grows the big bucks. I just alfalfa is like one of my favorite one of my favorite crops, and alfalfa stays green, uh, you know, clear through most of the part your main part of season, you know, through November and stuff, I've hunted alfalfa was still been green and the deer are utilizing it. So it's a really good food source to hunt throughout both season. Yeah. Around here, we don't get a whole lot of alfalfa. I heard it's something because the beat or like with the beetles, but my okay. one buddy, he lives close to me and uh, his neighbor has a huge alfalfa field. And that property has got like giants and just the genetics <laughs> in that area is yep. nuts, you know? So, yep. I believe it. so you said October 10th, so mm-hmm. you, you're getting all these pictures, you know, he's on like a pattern. So you're, you're probably like kind of in the zone. You're like, ah, I think I can kill him tonight. So like, uh, you head to the property. Let's go from there. I know I said you basically hang and bang, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I only had like one tree to work with. It was like a shag bark hickory tree and it was a huge tree. So trying to put a stand in that was absolutely miserable. And I didn't even think I was going to be able to accomplish it, but I did. And we had like a light rain and stuff, which was kind of good because I felt like it, you know, could wash some scent away that I had put there. But I think that was like a little after four once I finally got settled into the tree. And then a little after six is when, when he come rolling, rolling right through. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw him, especially after all the noise I made. I just never once thought a deer was going to come through, let alone a buck of a lifetime. And it just, it happened picture perfect. I mean, he come right to me and turned broadside and looked behind him in 18 yards and the rest was history. So it was, uh, it was a perfect hunt. (laughs) Yeah, that is awesome. Did he walk by that camera he's been on like throughout those other days when he was on his way to you? Yeah, he did walk by the camera. The camera didn't catch him just because it was pointed a little bit different than the path that he took. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one thing too, that like a lot of people, I think they rely on trail cameras too much. You still got to have that like woodsmanship and realize that a camera's only looking at one spot and that buck could walk right behind it. And I think, especially nowadays, people focus, especially having these cell cams, like that buck's not on there. I'm not going to go hunt, which it doesn't really mean that, you know, because you shot him, he walked right by it, but you wouldn't have thought he did if you were just relying on that trail camera. Oh yeah, I learned my lesson with that a couple years ago, chasing, chasing a particular buck, and I didn't even think he was in the area, and he was in the area the whole time. He just never went by the camera, and you didn't realize that until you sat out in the stand. So that's when I started hanging multiple cameras in a general area, kind of to where, you know, if he doesn't go in one of in front of one camera he'll go in front of another and stuff like that and hanging up high in the trees and stuff like that so they can't detect them so I've kind of done a lot of camera changes the last few years with that because like you said I mean you have one camera pointing one way they can walk to the left walk to the right walk behind it and you just think that they're not there but they really are (laughs) yep like I've noticed with this little 27 acres and it's it's not even huntable 27 acres it's probably closer around 10 maybe a little more that's huntable and um, I would have cameras in certain spots and I'd get the, the buck like heading into our property and there's say like eight or 10 cameras just on that bottom section. And I won't get them on any of the cameras. And I know the property pretty well, you know, it's just like I've, I've learned with this property, certain bucks will kind of travel the property different sometimes. Like, don't get me wrong, they'll hit the same trails and stuff. But I've got certain bucks that I will only get them on one certain part of the property and they'll only like take one path. And if you don't have that camera on that exact path, you'll never think that buck was in there. Yeah. 
Yep. Yep, exactly. So it's, you can't always rely on cameras. I've definitely learned that the, learned that the hard way. You definitely have to get eyes out there, especially if you have, you know, crop fields and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many areas that the deer can come out in and stuff like that. And it's really easy to miss them, especially when you have a big field that you're trying to hunt or something like that. So I always like to get eyes out there, especially in the summer and in the late summer to kind of see what's really utilizing things because cameras, I mean, they, they honestly, they miss a lot. Yep. They, they definitely do. So, um, kind of backtracked a little bit when you sent that arrow, did you know you smoked him right when, right when you let it go? Um, initially, yeah, I did. Like I felt a hundred percent. And then, you know, the longer you sit there and think about it, the more you start second guessing everything. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, well, maybe I, I, maybe I didn't even hit him because it just seemed like it just went through him like butter that I was like, well, when I thought that I hit him and so I had to end up getting down and I was like, well, I'm just going to make sure I see blood first. And I saw blood and I didn't see my arrow or anything. So I'm like, Ooh, okay. Because when I shot him, I didn't see my arrow, you know, sticking out the side that I shot him at. And then obviously it wasn't on the ground. So I knew it had to be, you know, hanging out the other side of him or whatever, but yeah, it was perfect like double lung shot i mean he didn't go anywhere he just went down over the hill and crashed right in a ravine <laughs> yep i did the second guessing is very true i shot this kentucky buck last year as my like first year hunting kentucky like, out of state and i luckily i was self-filming and i i got the shot on film and i sat there for in the stand probably didn't even get down for 30 minutes just like looking at this video and then getting on like the jury deer cast app and like looking where the, the shot hit and the angle i'm like that has to be a double lung but still second guessing the whole time like even when i was like looking at blood for a little bit i was like oh did you get that top lung and it is funny how you second guess usually i shot my ice buck that i shot the following year um i shot him the second to last day of bow season which in ohio was like the beginning of february super late in that ice storm that we had and I had, he was so close to me and I was so high up to where my shot was super steep and, you know, I was freezing cold and excited and everything in between and everything happened so fast. And I didn't like, I didn't even like when I hit him, it looked like I got like zero penetration on him at all. Like my arrow was barely in him and it didn't make any sense to me because normally I can get pass-throughs on deer for the most part, or at least goes through the other side and it didn't look like that at all. And I was like, man, did I hit him like in the shoulder blade? And he just start panicking. And, you know, he whirled off and took straight off away from me. So I didn't really get to see a good side angle. And so I was like, well, I'm going to get down and look for blood because there was like 10 inches of snow on the ground covered with ice. So it was going to be easy to see blood. And I looked for a little ways and never found a drop of blood. And then I'm really like sick to my stomach. So I ended up, you know, backing out went back in later because it was supposed to rain that night, which was the worst scenario, went back in later that night and still found nothing. And I mean, I was devastated because this was a, a great mature buck, second to last day of bow season. And I'm like, I can't believe I just screwed this up. Yeah. Well, come to find out the next day when I had went in, I went in and I was trying to look because there was no blood. So I was just trying to physically follow buck tracks I was following this running set of buck tracks around the hill where it looked like that he had went when I watched him still no blood nothing I looked for half a day nothing and I was just devastated I was about to give up and I'm like okay I'm gonna go back and I'm look one more time we ended up finding the second set of running buck tracks a little bit lower than the set that I was on so I'm like oh that's weird so I started walking on that set of tracks and and it kind of took me down over the side of the bank a little bit and around the hill. He was literally laying right on the side of that bank, literally balled up like around a tree <laughs> on his back with his head and everything over backwards. And he was caught on that tree and I was on the wrong trail and he was just enough over the bank to where I didn't see him when I was previously looking and what had actually happened was when my arrow went in since it was such a steep angle it the broadhead hit the rib on the opposite side and it actually deflected the arrow back out the way that it came crazy enough really? where he literally it was a higher lung but he literally just filled up inside with blood the arrow was still in him and none of the blood ever exited the buck wow but I he, bet you were uh, fired up, though. 70 yards away. 
<laughs> yeah, I can say I bet you were fired up though, going through all those emotions, thinking you missed or. Did, oh yeah, so. I like I couldn't believe it, and I had the same thing happen in 2015 on a buck that I shot. The same exact scenario, the same thing happened where it hit that rib on the opposite side, and it was a steep high shot, like a high angled shot, and it did the same exact thing. So. Yep. That's what it, my, it, my Kentucky buck, it was that, yeah. that shot. It didn't exit out that backside because it hit the rib. I shoot mm-hmm. mechanicals, which mechanicals probably do that a little more, but I'll always shoot mechanicals. Yeah, yep. It was a mechanical that I shot as well. But, yeah, I mean, it just – he filled up completely inside, and he died, like, within 70 yards. But, yeah, it's crazy how that can happen, and you really think that, you know, you didn't get the deer, but, I mean, he was laying right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, when you walked up on Freak, how, how far did he go after the shot? Did you, like, follow his blood trail? Yeah, I mean, he looked like you just – I mean, there was just blood everywhere. I mean, he was – because it was such a good a good shot, and it was an exit. The arrow exited completely out the other side. And, um, yeah, he – I don't even know if he went 50 or 60 yards. He piled up really quickly. Yeah, and I, I actually did notice, I think, Clint Casper took your picture, which I've met him a few times now, and he's, yeah. he's, he's a cool dude, and he's he's from Ohio, right? I know he loves going out west, but he's an Ohio yeah. native, I think. Yeah, he only lives a couple hours away from me, so whenever I kill a deer, he comes down, and whenever he kills a deer, then I go up to him, so. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a good trade-off right there. Yeah, 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 so he helped with the recovery of that deer. He wouldn't let me go look for it until he showed up, so. That oh, was I'm sure, I'm sure he knew all, all about him with those split brows and everything. Thing. that buck was a freak what did he end up scoring um he ended up growth scoring 190 and six eights wow yeah that's a that's a mega giant yeah, yeah once in a lifetime deer i don't know if we'll ever kill one bigger than him but there's always the hope for it anyways yep for sure so uh, i think i know the answer but you're pretty kind of like diehard about your archery aren't you don't you like get the reps in quite often yeah i've I actually, this summer, I've shot probably more than I normally do. Actually, I shot before the podcast here that we're doing as well. So, oh, <laughs> hey, you got to get the reps in. I'm terrible. Like when people be asking me questions and stuff, I'm like, dude, I'm the wrong person to ask bow questions. I don't usually start shooting until the month before. But for <laughs> me, it's just like a confident thing. I've been shooting a bow. I didn't like start hunting with one until I was about 17, 16, 17, but I've been shooting a bow since I was like five years old. And that's just one thing I'm confident about. And I focus more of getting that buck within 30 yards than I do practicing with my bow, which is not, it's not for everybody, but I mean, it's worked out for me. I've missed, I've missed a good amount of does in my life, but I have not yet to miss a a buck yet. Hey, well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of the most, which I've been shooting a little bit more just because, which I shot a tax shoot in South Dakota and I like shooting 3d because it's, you know, Yep. More life scenario. It's more exciting than just shooting a bag target in the backyard. And it gives you more, I feel like it gives you more and better practice and makes you kind of put in perspective, you know, when a real animal's in front of you. Kind yep. of and, and I like, they're like, just like the, they're kind of like their perspectives. They're like just laid out different. Like you're shooting over a little knoll or shooting up or shooting down. That's yeah. Like yep. In between stuff. Yeah. So I've been shooting a lot with my, 3d archery buck i've been shooting a lot of like downhills and stuff since there's so many like steep fields and stuff around here i just put it clear down the hill kind of you know mocking being in a tree stand or shooting downhill and things like that i've been shooting longer yardages actually tonight i got a life-size bull elk target um because i'm wanting to really start practicing for elk hunting next fall so Tonight, I actually shot at 64 yards with my new life-size elk target, so that was kind of cool. So, I've been doing a lot more long-distance shooting, getting getting better at that, because if you can get yourself calmed down and shoot really good at long distances, those 20, 30-yard whitetail shots are like a chip shot to you. Yeah, and a full-size elk target, that's a lot of foam. Yeah, well, this is actually... Um, it's made by Dead Nuts Outdoors, I think. So it's like a foldable, like a life-size elk target that all folds out and you actually connect it to your bag target. It's a pretty slick operation. I'm going to post a video of it here like in a day or so. Um, but it's, it's pretty neat and it's not, you know, you're not having to buy like a, a big, super $1,500 life-size 3d yeah. you can get this and it works the exact same and it's got different in replaceable inserts and stuff it's really slick that is slick 
So uh, you're shooting these farther distances, and whitetails are they're whitetails. They they can jump the string and stuff. So what would you say is like your ethical kill range? Honestly, I am the type of person that I set up all my stands and stuff to where, and then my areas as well, just depending on. But most of my stands and hunts and areas, I really can't shoot much farther than thirty, okay. just because of trees and hills and brush and stuff like that. But I, I try to get deer within 30 yards to shoot. I think the farthest whitetail I've ever shot is at 35, and that's it. Okay, um, yeah. I haven't killed very far. I just, I've just i seen it too many times. They can jump the string, especially the deer you're aiming at. It's, there's yeah. something about the sound or something, and they drop a lot. Yep, so I I don't risk it with a whitetail, especially with a big buck. Like, if I don't feel 100% confident, and I don't have the exact perfect shot, and they're not close enough, I just won't take it, because I don't want to risk wounding a whitetail. Nothing's worse than wounding an animal, um, and stuff like that, so I, I try to get and do my setups to where I can get them nice and close. Yep, for sure, like, I got a, my family, my cousin came out to, from Utah, which he's used to hunting muleys, which a lot of times, they, they shoot usually farther than we do out west so he comes here hunting whitetails for the first time and he's sitting in our box blind he ends up missing i want to say at least five times like i'm pretty sure he ran out of arrows and i was like dude i was like i know you're not a bad shot i'm like what's going on he's like yeah she was about out there at 55 i was like well there's your first mistake i was like you're probably never gonna hit the especially these does these does on this property they're just most people don't kill the does so i bet there's some 10 year old does out here like all day every day they're just smart so they were just jumping his string like crazy, and then I finally kind of had to get like just tell him like, dude, thirty yards and in, do not send another arrow unless she's closer than thirty. And yeah, yeah, so. yeah. They can they can hear that and they can really react, really react fast, majorly. Yeah. So I've I've had a lot of deer, um, especially being high up in a tree stand. So you know you have to pay attention to how you shoot anyway, so you don't shoot high. And then when they duck, then you're your arrow's already going high, and then when they duck, it's really bad. So it's yeah. it's really easy to take a high shot on a deer. Yeah, I remember it was like one of my first year bow hunting. I was shooting not very much poundage back then. I was pretty small. And I don't know how this happened. Like, I, it'll probably never happen, but I had it on video. My only reason it jog, jogged my memory, my buddy just brought it up that he was there when it happened. I shot this doe, and she ducked. And she ducked at like the perfect time and must have hit like the mid part of the arrow or like the fletchings and then my arrow spun backwards and was aiming at me right where she was standing which was really yeah it's pretty wild that is that is wild i've i mean i had a similar thing happen with like a turkey my broadhead literally bounced off the turkey (laughs) yep i've had that happen too yeah yeah the turkey are crazy with uh with their uh their feathers and stuff but yeah yeah some crazy things can happen with shots that's for sure don't want to take too much of your time but i know like you said you're always busy out there doing deer stuff working on the farm and everything so uh before we get off here like what's the rest of your year looking like before your opener because are you gonna start your year in um or ohio so that i believe that's like the last week of september right yeah yeah the last weekend of september honestly chasing whitetails here in ohio is the only thing i'm doing this fall um since i took a like plenty of trips this spring and summer for hunting and stuff so just focusing on whitetails here. So right now, I mean, it's just updating minerals and moving cameras and adding more cameras and checking cameras. And, um, you know, I'm putting a lot of focus in my bean field and stuff like that, which um, I've had my farm. This will be the third, third bow season. And so far, I'm probably not going to be hunting my new farm for the third season in a row now. Um, I'm just just really trying to get some good bucks to grow out there and not put any pressure on the place or anything like that. So I still don't have anything that I'm um, that gives me that wow factor that I want to shoot or a buck that's mature enough. So I'm just I've got all the beans out there, the food, the minerals. So I'm just putting cameras out everywhere and just kind of figuring out the place more and more and just monitoring the deer and just going to stay out this season. I'm not even going to hunt my new farm again. Just hoping that with all the beans and the mineral and all the protein and just pile all the nutrients into these deer and the does and the bucks and hopefully then the next couple of years or so we'll end up with a, with a good shooter out there. I don't know, but yeah, for the most part, just keeping upkeep on everything and moving stuff around and trying to pattern a buck for 
early season and the goal is to get it done in early season so we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah you can say you don't like the rut so we know november rolls around you're gonna be doing work or something it sounds like yeah yeah i'll, pro I'll probably be taking over for the for the guys at the warehouse for novix that they want to hunt yeah. during the rut and i could care less so i'll go and work for them while they go hunt <laughs> yep yep i enjoy the rut i know exactly what you're talking about it is very unpredictable unpredictable but for like what i'm doing like i'm doing some out-of-state hunts on public land so i'm not going to be quite as picky as I would be here in my home state of Indiana on my private. Yeah. So I love the rut when it comes to that, just cause you never, you never know though. That's the, the good and bad thing about the rut. You never know a 200 inch buck might walk out. I know. Yeah. I, uh, well, when I used to like 2015, 16, 17 and 18, I killed all big deer those several years in a row. And all of them was during the rut. Crazy enough. Mm -hmm. um some of them i had history with some of them i never even saw before it was really cool but then it seemed like after 2018 it's just like the rut just wasn't that good around here anymore so then i really started focusing on early season and stuff like that and now that's just that's just what i love is the early season so yeah and things just change like properties change maybe oh, somebody yeah. moves in they build a house like this property in the 10 years is it changes it honestly likely it gets better because it's when we moved here, it was all like hay fields, and now we let almost all of it go into CRP other than some spots for food plots and stuff. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting like summer pictures of a bunch of bucks. Like I think it was last week, maybe the week before, we had 12 different bucks come down the same trail uh, oh, wow. in, one, in one day, aging from uh, like one years old to six six years old plus. So yeah, it, And that was never like we used to never even get velvet pictures. We were just like your typical rut property. That's why I grew up liking the rut because that was our best opportunity killing these bucks coming from these better properties that don't get as much pressure just to come to like mm -hmm. hot does because I've always called this property. It's like the fawning grounds because we always just produce like three or four fawn groups. It seems like every year on this 27 acres and they're like on it regularly. So you're your bucks are going to come check in even like late season. Maybe then fawns got like mature enough, reached the, the right weight and actually came into estrus that year. So it is yes. a, it's a gamble, but sometimes it just works better. And one thing I've noticed, like certain areas, I'm sure you've been hunting a long time. You've noticed it too. Like a buck will come back through the same area in the rut almost to the day. I don't know if you've ever seen. Yep. Like that. Yep. That's definitely, I've, I've noticed that with several bucks. It seems like awkward. October has really been a popular month. There's like a certain day in October I'll have a big buck that starts to show up and starts coming through this area. And the next year, about right on that same exact day, he'll come through that same area and then be there the same amount of time. Like it, it's crazy how that works, but there's definitely truth behind that. Yeah. Cause like I, I've got quite a few bucks. I have a few years of history with just on this property and you'll only see them for like a week or two span and it's usually but right around halloween to the, like the second week of november and yep. if, you're, if you're not in there you're not going to kill them i've just i've hunted this property a lot and a lot of these shooter bucks they're just smart like you just don't see them a lot you might get them on camera you go hunt them for whatever reasons i've gotten smarter i used not to be as smart of a hunter and as methodical but yeah it can it's some it can be really crazy and the more that you hunt a particular area or a particular buck you kind of really learn like what makes them tick and then what what times of the year they really utilize that one area and stuff like that so if you really like pay attention and hunt an area year after year or even a buck year after year you can really like learn a lot and then a lot of stuff really starts to make sense and it really helps you out and makes you a much better bow hunter yep for sure and one thing I noticed you use that I, I almost use religiously, especially like even on my 27 acres or if I'm on public is Onyx. And um, yeah. that's just like, honestly, I think that's one of the best tools that's ever came out. It's probably pissed off a lot of the old timers because it, it shows like the, the public land and all that. But I think that's honestly, I, I'll do some lives and I'll have people on podcasts and they'll ask me like, what's one of your, your tools you probably couldn't do without? And for me, Onyx is definitely one of those. Oh, 100%. I just, especially like going out west and like you said, hunting public land, whether it's for whitetail or for elk or, you know, whatever, or shed hunting um, yep. and stuff like that. Like if I go out west, like if I don't, if I don't have Onyx, like I don't even know how you navigate. Like it's just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did it 10 years ago. I really don't. Yeah, which I know they use handheld like GPSs and stuff like that, but Onyx is just such a simple tool and you download your offline area out there and I mean, you've got it made like. If I go out there and I don't have Onyx, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's just, it's such a vital tool because you can use it in so many ways. Like before I started this year, like my whole goal was I usually have like a plan for my property, but this year I was like, you're going to have a, a strict plan and you're going to stick to it as best you can. You always switch it a little bit, maybe adding a food plot or switching up the food plot. But like I had a whole plan before I even started messing around on the property, like putting in the food plots on there, marking them out, switching the colors. There's just so much you can do on that app, especially like now they got like the 3D mode and stuff. It's it's just crazy app. Oh, yeah. Yep. And for whitetails, like you mentioned, like draw plots, I really use it a lot. Well, especially on when I bought my new farm, you know, I wanted to measure, you know, how much, how many acres of tillable I had. So I went on the map and, you know, outlined it and I wanted to, you know, plant an acre of this and an acre of that. And I measured everything on Onyx and uh, mark the points to where I knew where I needed to start planting, where I needed to end planting, how many acres of tillable I had all together. So it was a super handy tool. Instead of going out there and trying to figure it out, like in the field, you can do it on the on the Onyx app and be done. Yep, I think that's yeah, that's one of my favorite things about it too. You can like mark out your like exact food plot. They got the mode where you can like walk around it and like trace it, and then you know exactly how much seed you have to use because like especially yep. when you use brassicas. Less is definitely more. When I was younger, oh, yeah. starting off food plots, I'd overseed and they just don't grow mature like <laughs> yeah. they do. So, you know. Yep, exactly. I used to do the same thing. I used to overseed thing and I didn't have enough seed down. And I have I have so many turnips in there, they'd be like all the size of a quarter. And that's all the yep. that they would get. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, yeah, I definitely made sure I do that. Now, like, honestly, I'd rather do under than over just because it gives them more room to grow. And that's just... Yep. That's how I was. I'm a learning curve. Don't get me wrong. I've watched YouTube. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts. But for me, I just believe you got to put in the work yourself and figure out what works for you. Don't take like anybody's words as facts. Like make sure it's going to work for you because one, there's just so many factors. Like if you're listening to somebody, it's not the same property. It's not the same deer herd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Pretty much everything I've done has been trial and error. I've, I've failed, you know, tremendously with half the stuff that I've done and I've learned my lessons and I've learned from that and I've gotten better. Am I perfect? No, none of us are perfect. And there's, I'll never know everything that there is to know about whitetails or bow hunting in general, but you keep, you keep making mistakes, you keep learning from it and it only makes you better. So. Yep. I agree with that for sure. So Emily, I appreciate you hopping on with me. I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you've been running and gunning. I'm sure you want to relax, but if people want to find you and like find what you're doing, where can they find you at? So, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I pretty much do Instagram for the most part. I do Facebook some, but not very much. But, yeah, my Instagram handle is just Chad Emily. Pretty simple. So you can find me on there and kind of post whatever I kind of keep doing and hunting tips and success and different things and photography. So if you're interested in that, you can give me a follow. If not, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I say exactly. And I've I, I followed you for a while. I like what you're doing. I just like the, the style you do, you, your content, because everybody's different, just like their editing style or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I just noticed from like right when I started following you, you were like actually truly passionate about it. You can just see that through your content. So definitely a good definitely follow. Definitely appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes, ma'am. And uh, yeah, check her out. Hopefully you kill a slammer this year and uh, hope the best. I sure hope so. And, hey, good luck to you as well. <laughs> yep, yep. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Thanks.